Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it out. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Called Genesis chapter 6. Maybe you struggle with this story. Did it really happen? It seems a bit far-fetched, but over 300 cultures on this planet have a flood story. A man named Jeremy Wiles has visited 40 of them, and it's fascinating to him the similarities between the two, even the name Noah and everything else. So some would use the multiple cultures as a reason to discredit the story because it's mixed in with mythology, but if it happened, then there would be hundreds of cultures that would tell the story because we're the descendants of this man named Noah. 
Chapter 6, verse 1 of Genesis. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So, plural daughters, plural men, but it's not an even plurality. As many wives as a man wanted, he took for himself. That's the way I understand it. They took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So God's drawing things to a close in 120 years. Because he's not happy with what is happening in the previous verses. Verse 4, there were giants, the Hebrew word is Nephilim, on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Mark Driscoll would say, this is a passage to read fast and hope nobody asks any questions. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of men came in to the daughters of men. Sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. There were mighty men who were of old, men of, men of renown. Any questions? Good. We'll come back to it. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? The Lord's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Did he find this grace because he was seeking for it? Or did he find this grace because God said, hey, here's my grace? Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So like Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God. He found grace. If he was perfect, then why would he need grace? Well, our perfection is his filthy rags, right? I think perfect in his gener generations is he and his family, his forefathers, were part of that messianic bloodline coming down to the fulfillment of the promise made in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of woman would crush the head of the devil. Verse 10, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. 
and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He's going to use water from the earth to take them back to day one of creation. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God covered the face of the waters. There's going to be a covered planet with water again. It's going to wipe the chalkboard clean with the exception of those who are on the ark. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood and make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Seal it. Contrary to the popular comedian who said, Noah, build me an ark. God didn't need an ark. Noah needed one for what was coming. The word ark in its simplest definition means a box. Build a box and seal it. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. How big is a cubit? It's from your elbow to the tip of your finger. So maybe it was a big guy. Is over 18 inches, okay? So make it 300 cubits long. So that is 450 feet. It's width 50 cubits, that's 75 feet. And it's height 30 cubits, that's 45 feet. Understand, according to shipbuilding specs, these are good, good uh, specs. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the ark, set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third deck. So it's going to have three floors. Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die but I will establish my covenant with you. Second great verse in this chapter. First great verse, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's God promising to establish his covenant with Noah. God's going to establish the covenant. And you shall go into the ark. So God's going to establish the covenant, and Noah's going to go into the ark. So to enjoy the covenant, all he has to do is stay alive by obeying God. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Tell someone eight people. Verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. So in creation, there's only two genders. There's not 50 genders. There's just two. I saw a funny meme the other day that said, there's two genders and 48 kinds of weird Verse 21, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it for yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Can you say work? It's a lot of work, building a ship and gathering food and farming and 
all this stuff and preaching to those that would come by to mock him. Verse 22, then, thus Noah did according to all God commanded him, so he did. Can you say obey? Hebrews 11.7 says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, it had never rained, just a mist came up from the ground and watered everything, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Because God told him, build yourself an ark. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He didn't do this in some secret corner. Other people could have built arks. Other people could have, you know, maybe some did but didn't want to do it according to God's dimensions and they sank. Who knows? But chances are because it had never rained, no one would believe him. They were so filled with wickedness and violence. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word speaks to us in such a way that we gain a fresh appreciation for what you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject of why we need a covenant with God. Why do we need a covenant? But before we do, let's go back to verses 3 and 4. Let's take a sidebar. Who are these sons of God? And who are the daughters of men? And who are these giants? The daughters of men, we can answer right up front. The daughters of men, duh. But who are the sons of God? There's three or four views. I'll just share them with you. These views are not a acid test for whether or not we would accept you as a church member. <laughs> Please don't split hairs over things like this. They are in the Bible, and we can't ignore them. They're there for a reason. I think one of the reasons is just to dig. One view is the Sethite view. So I will attempt to communicate each view with the pros and then the cons. The Sethite view is the view that these sons of God were the descendants of Seth, um, that he was in the righteous lineage that would lead to the Messiah, but because they had other children, he had other children, his son had other children, these other children got contaminated with the children of Cain. All right? Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod or Wandering in the east of Eden. And he began to have his family and their descendants. They were famous for inventing things, including polygamy, which was not a good thing. So we could say Cain is separated from God. He's still a man, though, right? So his children would be the sons of men or daughters of men, all right? Okay. I'm arguing this point, and then I'm going to argue against it, okay? And then verse 25 of Genesis 4, Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and named him Seth, hence the term Sethite. And this is what she said, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born. He named him Enosh. Then men began to call 
on the name of the Lord. Can you say pray? So remember the promise in Genesis 3.15 is of the seed that would come and uh, bruise the head of the serpent. So when Cain was born, she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. He turned into a big disappointment. But here, she says, God has appointed another seed for me. She's tying into that promise made to her, I believe. So if Adam was the son of God and this was his son, you could say he was the son of God in a way, right? And so the sons of God, having children with the daughters of men, who were ungodly, not a good thing. You see that? Uh, Solomon was led astray by his pagan wives. Another reason polygamy is not good. Too many ungodly people influencing you. But the problem is the text doesn't clearly say that view. Verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days, of chapter 6, there were giants in the earth, on those, in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God, or the children of Seth, came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, and then God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So he could say that, but why didn't he just say the children of Seth? See what I mean? All right. Next view is the royalty view. These are the sons of God the term used there is Elohim, which is a plural name for God. But it can also refer to gods. So take the capital letter off the G, you know, make it a lowercase g and add an S, sons of gods. It could relate to that. And uh, when Jesus was declaring who he was, his opponent said, you being a man, make yourself God. And he said, well, didn't doesn't the Bible say, doesn't the Word say that you are gods? And he quotes Psalms 82.6. The word Elohim also means judges or magistrates, rulers, authorities. So these could be the, spoil, the sons of rulers who've been spoiled, who are now being really cruel. Sons of rulers can be spoiled. Right? They got everything their way. They could be spoiled rotten. Now, the text doesn't say that, but let me just build the case. They could be spoiled rotten and be terrible. Solomon was a pretty cruel king. When he died, he turned the kingdom over to his son, and the people approached him and said, you know, your dad was hard on us. Could, could you go easy on us? He said, my father's waste is like my little finger. You think dad was tough. One of the saddest verses in the Old Testament said, he went, uh, is, uh, Judea, the, the tribe of Judah went back to their houses and Israel went back to their tents. They've been a kingdom how many centuries and these guys are still living in tents because of cruel rulers. So that could explain how People are, you know, developing power, becoming dictators. We see this in third world countries. Dictators come on the scene. We see this even in drug cartels. Um, little man becomes a big man. Who did, we, who did we capture? Yeah, El Chapo becomes cruel. 
trough, a little wannabe God. You imagine how wicked his children would be if he wasn't incarcerated? Imagine having a guy like that for your dad. Then there's the fallen angel view. Sons of God. Are angels the sons of God? Well, they're called that in Job 1 and 6 and 2 and 1 and 38, 7. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along also and said, I want it, Job. That's another story. Um, the early church fathers held to this, this group, the second century leaders of the church and onward. A lot of rabbis have held to this, this view that angels mated with humans and they had these hybrid humans or giants as children. 1 Peter 3 and 2 Peter 2 and Jude 5 through 7 talked about God punishing angels for leaving their assignment. Okay, don't want to get in this too deep with that, but they're chained up waiting on judgment day. The problem with this is Jesus said in Matthew that angels are not married in heaven. But Angels that fall and become demons, they uh, would reject the order that God established for them, right? And then you have the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah that the men want to have sex with before he cooked the place, God cooked the place. So was that possible? I don't know. They were just good-looking guys. And then the other thing that kind of gives me pause is Jesus after his resurrection, they thought he was a ghost or a spirit. He says, feel me. This is me. Because a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. So if angels are spirits, do they have flesh and bones? Or are they shapeshifters? Can they do that? I don't know. Could they have possessed the sons of men and the sons of God to have children? I don't know, that wouldn't explain them being giants. So this is something you want to go easy with. You don't want to lose friends over this. Dig into it. Feel free to argue in a friendly way. But no, there's a whole lot more in the Bible than this. Now, one thing I do want to, um, a couple guys pointed this out to me last week, is could this have been an attack on the seed? Remember Satan doesn't want his head to be crushed, right? He's going to contaminate the seed of woman. So could this have been an attempt to contaminate? I don't know. Could it have been an attempt to destroy? Definitely. So I think fallen angels definitely were involved in this. At what level? I can't say for sure because you generate questions on both sides. Is this still happening in our day? I don't think so. I think the flood wiped out this race. But what is happening in our day is attempts to clone. Uh, if you dig, you can find articles on super soldiers, designer babies, all that kind of stuff. That, te that technology or science is very real. It's illegal, but you know there are some countries in the world that aren't going to abide by the United States laws. So this kind of thing could be happening in our day, which would make, as it was in the days of Noah, extra special in its understanding. 
Verse 4 of chapter 6 again, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. So what is this also afterward? Is this after the flood? Or were there giants already on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them? Were there already big guys on the planet? And also afterward when this Sons of God mixture with the daughters of men happen? I'm not sure. You have one verse that I know of where the word Nephilim is used elsewhere in the Bible, and it's in the negative report of the spies in Numbers 13.33. They come back and bring an evil report. We can't do it. We can't do it. There are Nephilim there. And we're grasshoppers in their sight. And they're the, the Anakites, the descendants of Nephilim. Well, a, a proponent of that view would say, well, uh, um, Joshua and Caleb didn't disagree with them, so it must be true. Well, Joshua and Caleb disagreed with their conclusion to the bad report that we're not able. No, we are well able. But because they were outnumbered, the majority of Israel chose to side with the negative spies, and so they wound up 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So it wasn't good for them to believe the report of those spies. And a lot of commentaries say the guys were lying. They were exaggerating, making things not what they were. Okay. Uh, I, however you believe that is fine with me. But you want to be careful that you don't form a doctrine or a belief based on one passage of Scripture. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Well, isn't John 3.16 in the Bible once? Yes, as an address, but the principle or the promise in John 3.16 is throughout the New Testament. We believe in Him. That's how salvation comes or begins in our life, right? So, there's been groups started based on one verse. There's, there's a group that handles snakes. They got one verse. They break out the snakes in the service, and those that have the faith get up and dance around, supposedly dancing in the spirit. I don't know what spirit it is, holding up these snakes, and sometimes they get snake bit. Maybe you saw that 2020 show of the guy that had a dead finger that he kept in a box that he had lost when a snake bit him. Lost his finger, still handling them. Eventually he died. A snake got him. Dead. He must not have had enough faith that day. Uh, you got scripture for playing with fire and drinking poison, one verse. You got more verses for stealing donkeys than you do for some of that stuff. I was raised in a group that taught against women cutting their hair. They had one passage of scripture. One passage. And how many children that I grew up with couldn't handle that teaching, and because they believed it was the Word of God, they threw their Christianity away because someone was misinformed based on one scripture. So, one other witness that some would appeal to is the book of Enoch, supposedly written by Enoch, the forefather of Noah, the man who God took, the man who lived 300 years and disappeared. He walked so far with God, he didn't come back. 
Yet, yet it is believed the book was written in 300 B.C. Well, that's not possible. He lived before the flood. And, and there's a fascinating story. You know, if you're into sci-fi and stuff, this stuff is fascinating. Fascinating story is uh, 200 fallen angels met at the foot of Mount Hermon and had a meeting and decided to override the laws of nature and go into the daughters of men and have their way. And it gives the names of fallen angels when the Bible only gives us two or three names of angels, right? So already you're like getting fascinating information the Bible is keeping from you, if this is true. The problem is the giant children they have are 4,000 feet tall in the book of Enoch. So for centuries, the church has not accepted as, as the canon of scriptures for reasons because of other contents in the book, and the rabbis do not accept it as part of the Hebrew scriptures. So uh, there again, do not part ways with your brothers and sisters over this. And please, this is, the, this is the warning in what I'm saying today. Don't have a suspicious eye for who's a child of the devil and who's not. Jesus said we're all of our father the devil who was a father of lies, right? And yet he saved us, right? So do not quench any evangelistic calling in your life because you wonder whether or not they're a descendant of the Nephilim. Don't get into that. That's that will sidetrack you. That's a swamp. All right. Who are these giants? They were called Nephilim. Are they, it, the word means fallen. So are they fallen angels? Are they descendants of fallen angels? Or fallen righteous people? Literally, the Old English says they're fellers. Not fellows, but fellers. Like you ever fell a tree? They're fellers. They're men of renown. Could this have been the birth of pop culture or politics or hybrid giants or evil tyrants, uh, demonized leaders? I don't know, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about why we need a covenant with God. We need a covenant with God because God's judgment is a sure thing, and it is for endorsed cruelty on the innocent and God's judgment is preceded by warnings, and his covenant provides a way out of the judgment. That's our three points today. God's judgment is for enforced cruelty on the innocent. Here's five examples. The great flood, we just read about all the violence and all this stuff that was being accepted as part of their norm, part of the culture, and God knew it was only going to get worse, so he's going to stop. He hates cruelty. He hates injustice. So the great flood came. Sodom and Gomorrah, injustice on the innocent, wanted to defile. I mean, the whole city came out wanting to defile innocent angels. Egypt, enslaving innocent Israelites. For four centuries. How old is the United States? From the Declaration of Independence, England would disagree with us. 243 years, right? We'd just be past the middle of the 400 years of slavery. 
Nineveh, so wicked, God was going to destroy them. Jerusalem, talk about cruelty endorsed, cruelty on the innocent, enforced, endorsed, legalized, accepted by the majority, the death of God's son, as well as cruelty to the poor and cruelty to their parents. If you devote, if you will, all your stuff to the temple, you don't have to help mom and dad when they get old and feeble. God's judgments are preceded by periods of warning. You have Enoch and Noah. Enoch was a prophet preaching righteousness. Noah's whole life was a message. You have Methuselah between the two of them. Um, is it Methuselah? Then his name means man of the dark. But if it's Methuselah, his name could mean when he dies, the end is it's all over. When he dies, the end is near. So his life was a testimony. So you have this righteous remnant that are there to be a warning. Uh, righteous Lot. Yes, he's called righteous in the Bible. Uh, was in Sodom, grieved by what was going on. And yet his life was not heeded. You have Moses going to Pharaoh, let my people go. And we all think Pharaoh's cruel, but the whole culture benefited from his cruelty. Free servants, free employees. Well, you got to feed them, of course. You have the prophet Jonah going to Nineveh and warning them. Of course, he was upset. They heeded his warning. They took the way out. They repented. But he'd be real aggravated if he was alive long enough to learn that God eventually did destroy the city because he didn't live a repentant lifestyle. You have Jesus Christ warning Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. See, your house is going to be left to you desolate. Forty years later, the city got destroyed. Who were the children when Jesus said it. They were the adults when the judgment came. Children's ministry is important because years from now they're going to be grown-ups, so don't look at them as, as little worthless people. They are human beings worthy of our attention and love. God's covenant circumvents his judgment for those that will believe. God's covenant provides a way of escape for believers you have Noah building the ark. Those that believed went on board that ark, and they were spared the judgment. You have the angels in Sodom getting Lot and his family out, and you have his unbelieving wife turning back and experiencing judgment in Sodom. Egypt, you have the Passover plague. It was a blessing to the children of Israel, but it was a plague to Egypt and it resulted in their freedom. In Nineveh, you have repentance. They heeded what Jonah preached, and even the animals fasted. The whole city humbled themselves, and so they escaped the judgment that was coming. They all participated. 
And then Jerusalem, you have what happened in A.D. 70. And the believers escaped because Jesus told them, when you see the city of Jerusalem beginning to be surrounded, don't go in your house to get your stuff. Get out of town. And history says they went to Decapolis. Decapolis, which means 10, Deca, cities. They escaped and went to 10 cities. Where did you hear that name, Decapolis? That's where the demonized man that we call Legion, because the demon said, I'm Legion. Uh, bless his heart, he's known by the name of a demon. But that's where he went to tell about his salvation. You reckon he prepped the way for believers to escape judgment that was coming on Jerusalem? There's a stream of Judaism that in their liturgy, they honor Simon Peter because he shared this with a lot of Jews who escaped Jerusalem when the believers did. So they honor him for helping them be spared. What about us? What has that got to do with me? Well, if God's judgment is for endorsed cruelty on the innocent, are we in danger of judgment? Is there culturally approved, politically endorsed cruelty on the innocent in our land? I think we've always had it in some measure or form from the slavery days to to now, there's even slavery still going on. But there's the death of the unborn. It's been going on officially approved since the 1970s. If the blood of one righteous man, an innocent man, Abel, cried out to God from the ground, what does the blood of millions of innocent babies say? And as believers, if we condemn pregnancy out of wedlock to where a young girl feels like she's going to be shamed? What are we doing? We are adding to the temptation of legalized abortion. God help us not to do that. Let's be willing to help and show love to everybody. God knows God showed us mercy in the consequences of our sin, hasn't he? Amen. His judgments are preceded by periods of warning. That's where we're at. That's why we're still here. <laughs> we are being warned. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 and listen to what the apostle wrote as it relates to our day. Chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Verse 5 says, For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Talking about the flood. And the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He's talking about what was created on the second day of creation, a firmament that would divide waters from waters. Waters were above the firmament, and waters were below the firmament. This is our atmosphere. So part of the atmosphere was a sphere of water that fell in judgment, thus exposing us to more radiation making the atmosphere less dense and other things that would shorten our lifespan. People are willingly ignorant of that, ignoring all the cultures that talk about a great flood. And they're also willingly ignorant of our current atmosphere. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The firmament is still there that God created on the second day. The second day is the only day of creation where God did not say it was good. He said it was so. Check it out. Could it be that climatologists are seeing a coming judgment and can't do anything about it? I don't know that finding people money will make any changes. They'll just drive up inflation. I don't really think they're serious anyway until they outlaw the drive through window at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. They're not serious. That's supposed to be funny. All those cars sitting there warming up the atmosphere. Why is he taking so long? You know, people point their finger at God. If there's a God, why is there so much wickedness in the world? Why didn't he do something about it? He's going to. But right now, He's giving people a chance to get it right. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
To him, it hasn't been that long. If a day is as a thousand years to him or a thousand years is as a day to him, time isn't as relevant to him as it is to us. Therefore, take advantage of, of this time. Whether his judgment comes to the planet in our lifetime or not, we know that eventually our life's going to be over. We've got plenty of time to get it right and come to the cross of Jesus and receive the covenant that provides a way of escape. He is our ark. He is our Peter goes on to say in another, another place, that the flood saved Noah. Now, we all think the ark saved Noah. How did the flood save Noah? The flood separated him from the wickedness that was in the world. And the ark preserved him during that separation. The day is coming when the wicked, the chaff will be separated from the wheat, the wicked will be separated from the righteous. The tares will be pulled up. The angels will do it. And we must be ready. The Lord has extended a covenant to you and I through what he did on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray, Lord, you would begin to open their eyes, that they would take their way of escape by entering into this covenant that you have made for us. And Lord, I pray during this holiday week that we would be thankful people, but more than that, our thankfulness would be a light in this negative world. In Jesus' name. Give us answers, Holy Spirit. Bring to our remembrance things we need to say when we're in discussions and, and debates and arguments. Lord, may we, may we restore broken relationships this week and may we lead people to you and people back to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the covenant that we needed, that you provided. Thank you, Lord, for preserving Noah in that little boat. Yeah,
was able to preserve his seed in the midst of a corrupt world, he can preserve you and me. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get him, Tiger.